The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Markets podcast. My name is Olivia Raimonde, and I'm a corporate finance reporter here at Bloomberg News. This week, we're delighted to have on the show Jill Shaw, who covers leverage loans for Bloomberg News in New York. How are you doing, Jill? Good. Thanks for having me. We're also delighted to chat with Daniel Fan. He covers China properties for Bloomberg Intelligence in Hong Kong. He is going to walk us through the latest news on Country Garden. We'll be coming back to Daniel a bit later in the show, so please do stay with us. But first, we turn to Jill Shaw with Bloomberg News. Jill, August is typically a very slow month for credit deals, um, especially in the high-yield market, but we've seen more than expected, um, particularly in loans. Could you talk to us about what's driving that issuance and sort of set the scene for us for what's happening in your market right now? Absolutely. So, The leveraged loan market has been in a bit of a rally in recent weeks. And, you know, prices, um, secondary prices for loans just crossed 95 cents on the dollar for the first time since just about a year ago. So what's driving that? You know, part of it is the macro um, macro conditions that that all financial markets have been observing, which is that inflation data uh, is better than expected um, and inflation is slowing. Um, And also at the same time, the economy is still performing well. There's decent economic growth. So all of that gives leveraged loan investors some, um, you know, some comfort uh, that the economy is not going to go into a severe recession, which would really impact uh, leveraged loan borrowers and companies that are highly indebted. At the same time, investors are flush with cash and the yields in this market are hard to ignore. So, you know, the um, year-to-date returns in the asset class are above 8%. uh, And uh, investors are essentially hunting for paper. Issuance has been really uh, lagging this year. And so uh, most of the deals that we've seen recently are borrowers trying to sort of tap this rally, but uh, many are refinancings or amend and extend, so it's not quite new money. Um, and uh, that means that you know investors are still kind of hunting for paper um, that is high yielding. That makes a lot of sense. Thanks so much for walking us through that, Jill. But there was one deal, right? Uh, I believe it was Tenneco that was stuck on banks' books that priced recently. Could you talk to me a little bit about that and sort of how that came to the market now? Yeah, I mean, you know, the Tenneco story is one of of tapping this credit rally at the right time. So uh, Tenneco is an auto parts maker. It was a buyout by Apollo Global Management last year, um, and it got stuck on banks' books after banks tried to sell some of the bonds and loans financing that deal. 
And that was because investors were fleeing risky assets, right? And, and in, the auto industry was in much worse shape last year than it is now. And so at the time, investors really shunned the deal. And, and what we'd heard also was that the terms or the the terms governing the documentation um, were sort of not in investors' favor. We are very, you know, one thing to remember is that we are in a bit of a buyer's market right now in that, like, investors have been pushing back on on documentation, which has deteriorated in the loan market over, dec- uh, over years, and uh, starting to ask for more, more tight documentation um, in case companies fall into distress. So anyway, fast forward to this rally, it seems that, you know, banks are really, banks that were led by uh, Citigroup and Bank of America noted the sort of increase in prices um, in the secondary market, noted investor demand for deals, um, and likely saw some some sort of macro improvement in the auto industry enough to bring this deal. Uh, and it got done, you know, it still got done at, at fairly steep discounts uh, but uh, but but they were able to move that risk off their balance sheet and remember banks had about more than 40 or so odd billion dollars stuck on their balance sheet last year when investors fled these markets so um, Teneco is one of a few remaining Teneco was one of a few remaining deals on banks balance sheets uh, and I'm sure they're they're quite relieved to to be rid of it that makes a lot of sense yes last year there was tens of billions of dollars of these loans, as you said, stuck on banks' books when the market massively repriced. Um, But there are still some deals lingering, Jill. Is that right? Can we expect to see um, those anytime soon? Yeah, I mean, what's left on banks' balance sheets is really led by a few deals. So Twitter, um, which is, of course, Elon Musk's buyout of the social media platform that's now called X, that's a significant chunk of debt um, sitting on on banks balance sheets, and then Brightspeed, which is Apollo's buyout of um, some uh, uh, broadband holdings from Lumen. So, um, you know, I I think that those deals are probably further out. Um, Twitter is quite volatile in terms of the changes that Elon Musk is making right now um, and what the performance of that company looks like under this new sort of ownership is 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 something I think people are watching closely but but would need a lot more data um, before banks could credibly bring that deal to market. And Brightspeed uh, has some ongoing litigation, which just means that um, it's it's sort of impossible right now as well. So Teneco is probably one of the last hung deals that we'll, we will see come to market. But from my conversations with bankers, that risk is now, you know, much of that risk has been marked down in prior quarters for banks. Um, and historically speaking, that amount is, is, is low. And so that's not really getting in the way of new underwriting for banks. Looking for new underwriting in banks for sure um, after last year's levels. So can you talk to me a little bit, though? So we're getting all of this supply now. What does that mean for like the post Labor Day deal pipeline, which is when we typically see um, a lot of these deals come to market? 
Yeah, so, you know, the supply that we're getting right now is a lot of refis, a lot of amend and extend deals, which is when companies try to push out their maturities. Um, so a lot of the issuers that can deal with their maturities are coming now and taking advantage of this rally, right, and, and the tightening of prices. Um, we've also seen some dividend deals and an occasional acquisition, smaller acquisition deal. Post Labor Day, what I think we're expecting is a lot of the big financings that banks have signed up for, for mergers and acquisitions. So you know, Cineos um, is one. World Pay, World Pay is a massive cross-border deal, uh, which banks have underwritten. There was also a $1 billion loan for the buyout of Simon & Schuster. So there's quite a few deals uh, in the pipeline for September. Beyond that, I think the pipeline is a little quiet. But what we're hearing is that there are processes underway and, and, and banks may be able to bring more, more debt into the syndicated markets. Well, we'll be certainly looking out for those deals. I want to circle back to Tenneco real quick, um, if, if you'll allow me. So you mentioned the discount. Um, could you give us some color? I know it was 85 cents on the dollar for the bond. Um, would you be able to talk to us a little bit about the color you were getting from investors You know, when the talks and the discussions around the ultimate pricing were happening? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, Tenneco is a cyclical company, and so investors that are wary of auto in general are not likely to play in the deal. But I, I, what I imagine that investors who did play in the deal saw was like a significant discount there um, that looked pretty attractive. Uh, and and I think that you know this year is a much better year to. Um, for an auto parts supplier than last year. And so I think all of those things combined kind of, uh, and then, you know, let's not forget that, that um, the, the documentation on that deal became more investor friendly. Um, it, it did when they first brought it out uh, like a week or so ago, and then it did again before pricing. So investors were certainly, it seems, jockeying for that. So yes, the price got it done, but also I think, you know, some concessions from the sponsor on the on the deal terms was probably the thing that pushed it over the finish line. Got it. Got it. Thanks so much. And so we've been talking a lot about some of these riskier deals. I want to pivot to another one of your stories that you put out this week that was fantastic. Um, it talked about loan defaults and how they're outpacing the defaults in junk bonds. Um, can you walk us through that? Because I always thought it was typically the other way around. Yeah. I mean, you know, what it, what it typically has been is that they kind of move in tandem. And what we're seeing for the first time in like 30 years um, is, is this divergence, right? Where loan defaults are, are up to like 4% and high yield bond defaults are still closer to 3 or 2.7. So that margin, that difference of like 1.3 percentage points is the biggest in, in 30 years. Why is this happening? It's really a rate story, right? Leveraged loans are floating rate, which means that as um, as rates go up, uh, the interest that borrowers pay on that debt goes up, whereas junk bonds are fixed, right? And so they don't see the new sort of rates regime regime until uh, until they come back to the market and refinance their deal. 
there's other reasons too, I think. Generally speaking, compositionally, the, the leveraged loan market is lower quality now than the high yield market. There's a number of reasons for that. One, the leveraged loan market is where um, you know six, almost 60% of com- borrowers are private equity backed, which tends to mean more leverage uh, on those companies. They're smaller, uh, generally speaking. And then, uh, you know, because private equity likes really to borrow at that B3 level, they're lower rated and and falling below that means that, you know, leveraged loan borrowers lose access to a lot of their investors, um, CLOs. The high yield market, in contrast, has actually been getting in better quality in recent years. You know, the last time um, that the high yield market saw many, many defaults, as most listeners, credit listeners will remember, is is like the 2015, 2016 cycle of energy defaults. Um, and and really, many, many of, uh, you know, the, the, many of those defaults have have sort of moved out of the market. And, and now that market is is a lot healthier. And a lot of a lot of borrowers have also moved to the leveraged loan market. So what we have is on one end, a higher quality market in high yield, the rates regime not really catching up to that market just yet, um, though, though that maturity wall is approaching. And on the other side, we have a market that is lower quality, favored by private equity, which means more debt, um, and and where the rates regime has all, already caught up. You know, these benchmark rates where that leveraged loan, leveraged loans are pre- uh, pegged to have already risen dramatically, and some companies have seen their uh, their interest costs like essentially double over the last, um, you know, the last wow. eight months or whatever of rate hikes. Wow, that is. That is a steep increase. And then another thing that I've thought about when looking at this topic is that another reason why historically loan defaults have been lower is because they sit higher in the capital structure and they are usually, those investors are paid back before junk bond investors. Is that correct, Jill? And could you talk about that dynamic and and how it's changed? Yeah. I mean, loan investors tend to sit senior secured. Um, uh, there's a couple of things here. So one, um, senior secured is definitely going to get paid first. If you have a loan only capital structure though, it's only, it's all loans, all loans. <laughs> you know, sort of everybody has, has the same priority. Whereas like you, you know, those mixed capital structures where there are loans and bonds, yes, loans would get paid first. And so we do have like loan only borrowers and they are seen to be more risky in the leveraged loan market because not only do you have a capital structure that is exposed to interest rate, entire capital structure that is exposed to interest rates, many of these companies did not hedge uh, against inflation or against a rise in rates. Um, you know, no one really, no. broadly speaking across Wall Street, this aggressive regime of rate hikes uh, was not expected. And so, um, that's that's sort of the reason as well that like leveraged loan borrowers are kind of getting hit harder um, earlier. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure that that is going to be a theme and a topic that the entire fixed income market is going to be watching very closely, uh, especially as we move into the end of the year and see how growth holds up. Uh, Well, Jill, thank you so much for coming on. Um, Great stuff. Uh, That was Jill Shaw from Bloomberg News. Thank you so much for joining us. You can read all of Jill's coverage and her scoops on the Bloomberg Terminal and, of course, at Bloomberg.com. Thanks for having me. 
As I mentioned earlier, I'm delighted to welcome Daniel Fan to the Credit Edge. He covers China properties for Bloomberg Intelligence based in Hong Kong. Today, we are going to focus on the distressed Chinese developer Country Garden Holdings. Daniel, can you set the scene for us? What's going on here? Thank you, Olivia.、Um, yeah, the scene is actually about Country Garden's、uh, stress situation.、Uh, the company used to be one of the largest, if not the largest, in the past six years in terms of sales.、Uh, the developer failed to make its coupon payment on time on August six. That create a lot of、uh, concern about the financial health of the company, and also drag down the bond price of the whole sector. Uh, that also creates some issue about whether the China property sector has some systematic risk. Do you think that Country Garden is going to get a bailout from the government? Is that an option on the table?、Um, I think there's a lot of expectation that the government may do something, but I think the chance,、um, based on what we have seen, is not that high.、Um, It was a once a too big、mm-hmm. to fail developer, and it's now becoming、uh, maybe a a bit too big to be rescued by government, especially at the local level, given its size. It has、uh, more than three hundred projects nationwide, and it would be difficult for any local government to handle. So, in short, the government' the top agenda is to ensure project delivery. While leaving the developer to deal with his own financial problems. Got it. Got it. And how likely is it that Country Garden will extend its offshore debt? It's getting more likely now because the options available on the table are getting less.、Uh, it tried to do a share placement at the end of July, but for some reason it did not go through. And then share price dropped from one point four Hong Kong dollar to around eighty cents、um, yesterday closing. So it's a little bit difficult to tap the equity market.、Um, in terms of getting financing, I mean, I mean, in terms of financing coming due, it has two convertible bonds payable in December, and one kung fu bond coming due in January. The total amount is around one point nine billion U.S. dollars. One point nine billion U.S. dollars—that's quite a chunk of change. So, talk to me about the impact this is going to have on Asia's fixed income sector.、Um, if Country Garden needs to extend the offshore debt,、uh, the impact more coming from like、um, asset allocation perspective, Country Garden has around eight point four billion. Dollar bond outstanding in the Bloomberg Asia High Yield Bond Index. The index size is around like six seventy six billion.、Um, so basically, fund managers need to find some something else to replace Country Garden. And also another thing is Country Garden used to be a core holding of many fund managers in their portfolio. Are there like? Can you give us like a sense of sort of like what other options there are? Like, what could they be reallocating to, or what are some like opportunities that you are hearing are out there for investors besides Country Garden? I think naturally you have a smaller index、uh, after Country Garden. If they don't pay, they will be out of the index pretty soon. 
uh, and then I think it have a, a impact on the China high yield market uh, in the sense that people kind of like feel skeptical about the market. They may look for somewhere else outside of China to for investment opportunities. Maybe they, they may look into like Japan or even Australia to broaden the concept of Asia. In the past, when we talk about Asia, we usually talk about Asia excluding Japan and also excluding Australia. Now, yeah, we may need to change that concept. Asia may include Japan and Australia. And the second point is they may they may like get out of the high yield market and focus more in the investment grade market. That will be some of the uh, impact in, in the fishing company. Very interesting. Yeah, a lot of uh, people, a lot of my sources talking to me about, you know, the up in quality trade, whether it's China property or, you know, U.S. investment grade bonds. Uh, a lot of investors in the market are looking to move up in quality um, and capture those yields that we haven't seen in such a long time. So I want to switch from the fixed income markets to the physical housing market. How is that impacted by everything that's going on with Country Garden? Because Country Garden is kind of like a household name uh, onshore in the in the physical market. It, it will have damage in terms of home buyers' confidence. Um, they don't know which developer is trustworthy if they want to buy a piece of property. I think that is a most important impact uh, in the physical market. Um, and also, the, if country garden is not trustworthy, then who else? Um, and then people may think, is the whole like property sector not safe from, uh, I mean, from a home buyer's perspective? Uh, if we look at mm-hmm. like Evergrande, Evergrande, we can still say it's a standalone case because I think people kind of understand its business model is using a higher leverage. But Country Garden uh, was a different story. It was rated investment grade just like more than slightly more than a year ago and a high quality developer uh, when the government launched its uh, first arrow of a rescue plant. Very interesting. Um, so is policy stimulus going to help at this point? Can you talk about it? Talk to us about it from that angle? Um, yeah, I think the the policy measures uh, trying to help to address the demand side, like easing home purchase restriction, uh, lower deposit ratio. I think the more important point they are stressing is to ensure delivery. Um, it's kind of like a double-edged sword uh, because they won't try to ensure delivery. So meaning that they are, they require developers to keep more cash at the project level to make sure they're able to complete the project and deliver to the hands of the home buyers. At the same time, the side effect is developer they are less able to use the cash available for debt servicing, especially for offshore bondholders. So that this is uh, one point. And other thing is uh, in their second arrow to support the sector, the government via the agencies provide guarantee 
for onshore for developers to issue onshore bonds, but at the same time they require developers to post collateral against the guarantee. So because a lot of the Chinese property developers they depend very much more than ninety percent of their revenue from project development. Many of them they don't have like sizable investment properties or unpledged asset to provide to the government as collateral uh, against which they get guarantee on their bond issuance on so got it got it and then i wanted to follow up with you again on like the home buyers are people you talked about a, a crisis of confidence you know in in the home buyers who are who are looking um to buy property, but has anyone lost their homes or is anyone's homes at risk because of this? We, we see some um, cases that like people are protesting uh, because the, 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 the unit they put money on uh, are still not like completed yet. We see cases um, yeah, here and there, but not in a large scale. So probably due to the policy to make sure delivery by the government. Thanks very much. That is Daniel Fan of Bloomberg Intelligence. You can read all of his great analysis on the Bloomberg Terminal. Do check it out. Hope to see you back on the show soon, Daniel. Thank you. And thanks again to Jill Shaw from Bloomberg News. Read all of her great stuff on the Terminal and at Bloomberg.com. And I'm Olivia Raimonde. It's been a pleasure having you. Join us again next week on The Credit Edge. in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash Future Investor slash radio.